Ray, welcome back to the call. Thanks, David. Um, so last time, look, we got into a really good discussion and only one side of it went to the internet, but uh, I suppose we were talking about business in general in Australia and I guess what you guys do. So maybe just give us a quick background into Successful Endeavours. Okay, Successful Endeavours is a product development company. We design other people's products for them in the electronics and smart embedded software space uh, with a view that you can then make them in Australia competitively. Uh, so that, that's the general focus. Um, and I got into it because, uh, first of all, I love making stuff. So it's always good to be doing something you love. Yeah. But also because manufacturing creates fundamental value uh, and it spreads well through the workforce more evenly than any other industry. And it creates lots of other jobs around it. So it's a really great way to grow an economy. Yeah, fantastic. And really, like in Australia now, we, we're suffering from a sort of question mark around how do we add value to the globe? Um, yep. And we talked about this last time, you know, what happened with the automotive industry and a few other industries that are being offshored. So even things like professional services are starting to look offshore for sort of highly discounted resources. Um, where do you see Australia going in terms of the economy? How do we survive this and how do we make sure we come out the other end strong? Yeah, I think the first thing is to understand that we're all in this together. So Australia is an economy as a whole. Uh, local jobs matter, not just to that person or their family or that business, but to the whole economy. Mm. And um, if you want to actually thrive in an economy, then my favourite business quote these days is a rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. So if we actually look at it from the perspective of how do I look after my suppliers so they can thrive? How do I look after my customers so they can thrive? How do I look after the other businesses around me that are making all this happen so they can thrive? Then we can all do better together. I think the days when we were sold the idea that business is just about money and maximising shareholder value, I think those days are gone. Those have sold. We, we now realise that businesses exist for a purpose uh, and you really need to have a good reason to exist and to do stuff and it needs to be about more than just money so can i ask you this is this is i don't think you're ready for this question but when we have a lot of offshoring going on right now because one thing COVID did is it taught people that we can telecommute so people can work from home or remotely which really sort of opened the door to offshoring as well um so from what you just said you know we want to keep jobs in australia we want to keep work in australia and value in australia how do you compete with someone who's working offshore at a fraction of the cost or do yes you yeah so you don't so the point of competition is compete where you can yeah not where you can't so if i'm just going to do transactional cost accounting and mm -hmm. say these eight hours worth of effort are going to be cheaper if i go to the philippines or to the ukraine or to poland yeah then that's one way of thinking about it. Mm -hmm. um, and that has a place. But we do a lot of business with people who've done that and have found that it actually cost them too much. Yep. Not because that transactional cost was too high, but because all of the other costs of doing business and making it work went up right. because of that transactional cost. So I'm not saying you can't get really good work done overseas. There are some excellent operators overseas, and sometimes that's the right answer. But we also want to make sure that we've got a certain amount of capacity here. So we've 
We won an IoT innovation. We won the IoT Innovation Award for Australia in 2018 by executing a project that we could only pull off because all of the major partners were in Melbourne. Okay. And we could drive to each other's businesses and we could physically swap because it's physical hardware associated with what we're doing. Yeah. So we could physically do things here, do things here, do things here. You couldn't have done that as a distance relationship and yeah. that had to be done in a super fast time frame. So, um, yes, you can offshore. And people have done guru.com, freelancer.com. Yeah. These platforms have been around for years. Yes. Um, I've even used them myself from time to time. I can uh -huh. tell you getting stuff. Uh, taken from an interview like this and turned into a transcript. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, there are people out there who will do that for twenty-five US dollars an hour. It's a good price for them in their economy. It's a good outcome for me. So I'm not saying I'm against it. I'm not saying I haven't done it. But again, it comes back to if I take a long-term view. I've got grandchildren now. I want to leave them an awesome economy full of value so they can continue to have the same opportunity to change the world that I've had, but also so they can look after me when I, when I get older. It's a good and point you make because um, I think well, I just want to tune in on one thing you said is that if you can't compete, if you can't do it better, then let it go. But you have to look at the whole picture because I think a lot of people just react and they say, well, if I can get it done for 25 bucks an hour overseas, I'll just get everything done overseas which is a sort of blanket statement because the reality is you just identified an opportunity where everyone was in the same city in Melbourne and you, you sort of become unique in what you can deliver because you couldn't do that offshore. So Correct. I think if business innovates and thinks about how can we do things better or what's our advantage because every weakness also has a strength attached to it, doesn't it? Yep, that's absolutely right. So one of the great strengths of Australian businesses is that we're very resourceful we're very good at problem solving and we're very good at that, you know, thinking outside the box kind of uh, approach to life. Um, there are some weaknesses that come out of that strength, like we're yeah. not very good at collaborating with each other because we think we can just do it all ourselves and stuff like that. But if you take a strength and you identify the weakness that sits alongside it and you work with people to make sure that they can fill in that weakness for you, yeah. then you can actually bring really solid offerings to market. Um, we have a case study I've done for one of our onshoring projects where we took something being made in China and we pulled it back to Australia. So the cost of getting the PCB made in China is $70. The cost of getting um, PCB the works made in Australia is $200. So the problem with the Chinese PCB is that it didn't work well enough. It had faults a lot of warranty failures, um, but also a lot of local labour required to configure it right. for, for its operation. So, yeah, the financial controller of this business quite rightly said to me, Ray, I can't afford a $200 PCB. I'm already losing money with a $70 PCB. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, what, we, what we did with them is we identified more than $1,000 worth of other costs associated with that PCB, gotcha. such as, and this is before you're even factoring in brand and reputation, damage from the failures, uh, lost future sales. They're not even tracking their sales forces efforts placating customers instead of making new sales. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in practice, the $70 PCB 
was nearly $1,000 more expensive than the $200 PCB in terms of total cost of ownership when you yeah. looked at everything. Okay. And that's what we try and do, make, solve the whole problem. Don't yeah. come up with a really good solution to one piece of it and let the rest of it, you know, limp along, solve the whole problem. It's funny because when, when we work with business owners and they always come to us saying we need more leads and uh, our biggest question is, do you really need more leads or do you just need a better conversion rate? Because yeah. it's all about efficiency, right? And um, often people just go straight for, you know, the noisiest, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And yeah, absolutely. So uh, we got a business coach because I realised that I didn't know enough about business to actually get my business really running properly. Yep. And what he said to me is, Ray, I can give you time 10 times as many leads not to close. Yeah. In other words, the problem is not the leads. The problem is that, you know, your sales skills, your deal-making skills, your ability to actually explain your value to people isn't good enough yet. And you said another thing about your coach, and it was something about how you communicate your value. Yeah. So I think he, he had a few different ways of doing this. Um, one of the things he said to me early on was, Ray, you're such an engineer, I don't think you can make this transition mentally, which I think was probably him correctly working out that I needed a challenge to take on to really embrace the shift. Um, but what he said to me is every time you don't explain who you are, what you bring to the table, what benefits that has for, for the client, you've not only robbed you, you've also robbed them. Yeah. So it's, it's also about me understanding that um, PR, if you like, is just about telling the truth. Marketing is just about telling the truth about who you are and what you offer. So the other person gets it. So you have to communicate the value. You have to demonstrate the value of proposition. Most people want to see that they're getting a lot more out of the deal than they're paying for. In other words, you're putting a lot of value on the table. You're contributing to them. You're, you're not a leech sucking money out of them. A lot of people think of business as a way of strip mining wealth off other people while returning as little value as possible yeah. on the return channel. No, no. I'm contributing to them by putting more value on the table than I'm asking for. Yeah, and that's how it should be, right? Because technically I earn my money by working and then I part with my cash and I assume I'm getting a return on my investment. And so when I talk to people in business, I say every dollar that goes out, you need to justify by what you can measure as a return. Now, it's either going to be a dollar-on-dollar dollar return or it's going to be a value return. Yep. And I think it's the same with clients. I say, don't spend a dollar with me until we discuss what the return on that dollar will be. Yep. That's how a business person needs to operate. But you, you sort of touch on another thing there, which is value creation. And I think this is the secret source. Yeah, Because when we talk about competing with offshore markets and when we talk about innovation in general, I think when, when people innovate, they create more value than the person who didn't innovate. And as long as you're innovating, you're increasing the value that you're offering to your clients, right? Yes, that should be the case. It is possible to innovate in ways that don't create new value. Uh, but in general, that's not what we're doing. What we're doing is we're solving problems that haven't been solved before. Some of the products we've developed, no one's done it before. You can't Google any of the answers. You've actually got to do the real science, the real engineering, the real innovative development work. But then they solve problems that are really important, like how to stop faults in the electrical system starting bushfires and things like that. So they're really valuable problems. You know, Black Saturday is billions of dollars worth of damage. 
Um, one of the devices we designed recently would have detected the fault that led to that fire if yep. it had been available at the time. So, you know, or, or funny little things like digital musical instruments to help people build brain resilience against Alzheimer's and dementia because learning to play a musical instrument creates structure in your brain, but a lot of instruments are hard to learn to play or sheet music's hard to learn to read. So how do you make it easier for people to get started? You know, simple things like that. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, I look, I look at, I know you're a reader as well. We'll get to the books in a minute because you mentioned them last time, but we'll get them again. Um, but for me, it's always interesting when, when I think about, you know, humans are almost programmed to innovate. As a species, we always create and recreate and innovate and innovate, and really it's almost programmed into us to add value or to create more out of less. And I think like when we see the most inroad in a society in community is when we're pressured. You know, the amount of technology that was evolved in the last three years, which actually already existed, but no one wanted to use until they had to, was phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, The pressure point is a really interesting one. If you look at where technological development has happened the most, it's in colder countries. Yeah. where you've actually got to do stuff to survive and then you've got to do even more stuff to be comfortable and then you've got to do even more stuff to thrive. So if it's too harsh, like Eskimos at the pole, you're in survival mode all the time. If it's too easy, like the Pacific Islands, where you know, just stay out there with the coconut trees, there's yeah. no pressure. There's no pressure for change. And yes. so it's, it's that there's an interesting zone of challenge yeah. that leads to innovation. And I think the same, like this is human nature 101, is I think people thrive the most when they've got a little bit of pressure to grow, but not so much pressure that it creates um, breakdowns in society and breakdowns in people. And leads to desperation rather than inspiration. Yeah, yeah. So um, so really, like, I know we've sort of covered a lot of ground. You mentioned a couple of books last time, and I might get you to just tell us again, what are your favourite or top books that you've been reading in the past few years? Yeah, so my favourite book on innovation... Um, is The Innovation Formula by Dr. Amantha Imba. It's a, a Sydney-based business. Yep. So, so she's a world expert on innovation. Right. Uh, the second one would be the original The Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton Christensen. So yes. that still sets the benchmark for what drives innovation and what can hold it back. It's really interesting to realise that your current customers are a bit of inertia against you changing what you're doing. Yeah. So, you know, you have to understand the dynamics of play. My The best leadership book I've read recently is The Dynamic Leader by Shelley Flett. So she's another Australian author, uh, and she does coaching in, in this space of leadership development, personal development. What she's written is an absolutely first-class description of what leadership development means in the Australian cultural context. So I found that really refreshing because we get so much stuff that's coming out of the American cultural context and it doesn't always sit here. Yeah. But that that book's an excellent example. Uh, Another local author, Sri Lankan background, but um, uh, Gihan Pereira is a really good thought leader based in Perth. Uh, and he's written a number of excellent books. So check out his website. Uh, you know, Disruption by Design is a good example. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. And I'm going to throw a curly one at you. The best piece of business advice you've ever received? Ooh. 
best bit of business advice? I think it still comes back to my business coach yeah. who said when you don't explain your value to other people so they get it, then you've robbed them. Yeah. And that's super interesting because um, it, it often is that people are fearful. to set, They don't like being seen as salespeople. And yeah. I often say, you're not selling, you're helping people buy and they can't buy unless they understand the value. So you've got to sort of, you know, get your ego out of the way here. It's not about you, right? Yeah, and the tall poppy syndrome where we worry about making ourselves a target yeah. by, you know, standing out too much. I, what I've discovered is um, people don't mind genuine celebration of success. Yes. We, we don't like... You know, the American rah, rah, rah thing again where they probably, it just doesn't sit with us, but if it's genuine success. So one of our strategies for being found is we win more awards than you know where to place them on the walls and in the trophy cabinet. And that also came out of something my business coach said to me, which is, um, Ray, are you guys any good? All right, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you write on your website. I don't believe you. Prove it. Yeah. Yeah, so how do you give people confidence? So what the awards sell is that we're worth talking to. So they open that door. So I haven't actually cold called anyone in five years uh, because we have people, you know, approaching us because they're interested. They've seen something we've done um, and, you know, the PR from that is good because it's other people celebrating what you've done as well. It's not just you blowing your own horn. Well, this is a really difficult dilemma, isn't it? Because what you just described is, you know, you don't want to go out and blow your own horn and boast about results. What you want to do is have bona fide results that other people are talking about. Yeah. And if you can, if you can sort of lean into that and focus on getting those sort of um, testimonials or, as you say, awards, because I know you said you had 40, 42 awards. Uh, 54. 54. Right. Yeah. No one's counting that. Of course we are. <laughs> it's one of your KPIs, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. In fact, if there's a year we don't win something, people worry that something went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, it's it's interesting because one of the philosophical points that we've adopted in-house is the prize never chases. And I was talking to someone in America about this, one of the ladies who's very successful, and she said, you know, most people focus on the never chases bit. They forget that you have to be the prize first. Yes. Right. And that requires a lot of work, right? Because becoming the prize means earning the right, having proof, case studies, having awards, all the things you just described so that you become attractive as a business. And doing it consistently over time. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Ray, um, this has been amazing. Thanks so much for coming back. I appreciate you sort of uh, giving us an extra half hour of your day. I know you're a busy man. So thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and ideas. If anyone would like to reach out, Successful Endeavours or Ray Keefe, I'm pretty sure if they Google either, they're going to yep. find lots. Yes. Yeah, they won't have any trouble. So I'm on LinkedIn, successful.com.au is our primary site. So if you want to check us out there. Um, and, yeah, if you have any interest in this space, you know, let's have a conversation. We don't charge for the conversation. Yeah, fantastic. Ray, thanks so much again for your time. Thanks, David. It's been a pleasure.